Welcome to Season 6 of Business Book Talk. Every week, we have a business book author talk about their book and discover why they wrote it. The conversations are casual in tone, but we try and dig a bit deeper into the subject of the book and discover the author's background and their core ideas. I'm sure you'll like this week's book, so let's get started. Hey everybody, it's Bob here and I've got Power Through Partnership, How Women Lead Better Together. And I've got Betsy and Maggie with me today on the line. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. All right. So, you know, I'm curious because, you know, the two of you, we've had a chance to chat a little bit and you definitely have this. It's almost like you're twins. You've been you're so connected. How rare is it that two women can get to this level of communication and camaraderie? So it's funny because Maggie and I have a a friendship that goes back to high school. Um, We met in 10th grade in, um, in English class, which this is this is audio, not visual. So I'll just give you a clue and let you know that was a few years ago. Um, and we promised ourselves that someday we, we worked on a class project together and we promised ourselves that someday after the fun that we had working together and the creativity that we stirred up via our project, we would, we promised we would work together for real someday, um, in our careers and our professional lives. So, Followed different paths, Maggie in education, me in organization development consulting, and then the time was right through many different circumstances, and we created our business, which led to ultimately to writing our book about women working together. And we went into this writing with an assumption that to work this way, you had to have that kind of long-term friendship. You had to know each other and trust each other as well as we did. And what we found from the interviews we did with several women business partners was that it didn't, that wasn't a prerequisite. Um, In some cases, that was an asset. In some cases, that was a deterrent, having a long friendship because you could have, you know, too many assumptions of what to expect. In some cases, we talked with women who had been match made by clients. It's, women who had come together because they shared, found out they shared something in common and interest in common. But what they all shared, what made it all work was their willingness to do the work it took to work together, to their willingness to invest the trust and their willingness to communicate in a productive way to further their work together. So that was what mattered, not that they had this um, interconnected friendship that went way back or an inner inner or even a friendship at all but a professional healthy respect and um caring for each other is it for for you guys when you're when you're working together um do you find that that because you've had this long relationship in, in school and and then you know you you were out in the workforce but you probably uh chatted about what was going in lives now that you're working like side by side is it uh, is it a little harder because you know uh, which buttons to press, in the sense that that you can get into a relatively quick argument type of thing? It's kind of like an older couple. It's like when they have an argument, it it can really go <laughs> nasty really quickly, or maybe not nasty, but. <laughs> well, so I'm going to throw that one over yeah. to Maggie to handle. Yeah, well, I I think the opposite actually has happened over the years, Bob, as we've gotten to know each other even better and realize what might stress one of us out or or what might be a concern for one of us, we've actually learned how to kind of circumvent that and look 
and ask each other questions about well what might be going on you know what what's what's happening that might be causing a certain kind of reaction um i think earlier in our our partnership betsy i don't know your take on this but earlier on i think we did kind of push each other's buttons sometimes when you know if we were in a in a really conflict if there if the stakes were high with a com- with a a client or something like that we could make things worse for ourselves almost cuz we know each other so well but the last 5 6 years we've really learned how to work it out so that we almost like don't even have to have an argument anymore it's like we can just kind of skip over that part of it and and get right to what are we going to do to make this better well, okay, you bring up a very salient point because there's an amazing book called The Power, uh, the Speed of Trust, and, and really what you're talking about is because you have this fundamental trust of uh, of your relationship, your business relationship, and the decisions that each one of you making are making, that you can do these almost instantaneous compromises, and, and a compromise in a positive way where you can't both have two A-type personalities saying, no, this idea is better than that idea, then you stall out. It's much better that if both partners there there's a trust and then you can go in and there's a bit of ask acquiesce happening says so like you know what I like that idea let's go for it and if it doesn't work out we can try something new instead of like no my idea is better than and right. than your idea right yeah but we had to be intentional about it too i mean yep. it didn't just happen automatically um, we both realized what our tendencies were, um, which came out very clearly in writing the book. Um, we kind of <laughs> called the push-pull dynamic, where one of us um, tended that would to be Betsy, me would tend to push, <laughs> and the other one would tend to that would be Maggie would tend that to be pull <laughs> um, away from something, you know, more cautiously. And so we real we recognized this, and we realized it was causing us a lot of tension because we would get into this, especially if we were tired or stressed, we would get into this push-pull dynamic and then once we named it and once we were intentional about naming it then it kind of took it really took the sting out of it and then we were able to use it because we'd say okay well what's the push here what's the pull here and then we found ourselves over time kind of switching and then you know I'd say wait a minute Maggie why are you pushing you're the pull you know and but then that was really helpful because then we were able to look at at something in different ways and it became more dynamic so but, but we had to be intentional about thinking about what what the what the tension was you know it's it's interesting because um i know several women teams here in in the vancouver area and, and there's one that's super dynamic and one is very much like betsy and the other one is very like you maggie and and Betsy, she loves to talk and she's got this huge energy and she's go, 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 go. And, oh, let's do this. Let's do that. She's very dynamic. And then Maggie is there too. And she's very dynamic in a different way. She's the organizer. She's the one that can, you know, it goes to Betsy. This is fantastic. But let's slow down and actually get this thing figured out and then move forward. And then we can start new ideas. Do you feel that with any relationship, uh, a business relationship, this is probably the best dynamic to have. Well, you definitely need to have that dynamic. Um, you need somebody, and, and I would say with Betsy and me, what's happened over time is that we'll switch. You know, as 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 we've gotten to 
kind of take on, I mean, we've learned so much from each other. So there are times when Betsy is really standing back and, you know, really taking it all in and wait, let, let's think about this more when she'll be the, the puller. And then there's times when I'm the pusher and, and bring the energy and the creativity and the new ideas. So I think that's the best of all worlds where we've, you know, we each have our, our tendencies and our preferences to a certain extent, but we've learned so much from each other that we can bring that to the situation also. So if I'm having a day when I'm just like, I've had a lot of caffeine and my ideas are just running, 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 Betsy can say, hey, wait, wait a minute, let's, let's think this through and then vice versa. So I don't, I mean, I don't think you necessarily have to have one person who's always one way and the other person who's always the other way, but you definitely want to make sure you have complementary skills, complementary right. approaches. I mean, because it is what's the, you don't necessarily need two of you. You know, you need something that's going to make the partnership um, stronger, that's going to bring in different perspectives, that's going to cover more ground than just one person could do. You know, early on, we interviewed Margaret Heffernan, who's done a lot of work with women business leaders. And she said, partnership can be really, really good. But if you have two of you who are doing exactly the same thing, then one of you doesn't need to be there. So, you know, you need that, you need the diversity in order to make it really powerful. Okay, so, and you kind of uh, hinted about this earlier on in the conversation that when you were putting the book together, a lot of these things became clearer to you. So for you guys, and I'm going to ask this one uh, for Betsy and then, then we'll go over to you, Maggie. Betsy, what was your aha moment in the book where, where something that you knew was kind of true or, or you believed in, but then when you wrote the book, it really crystallized and became an aha moment for you? We went from this idea of, because we were working really well together, we thought, oh, this is a solution for other women, this way of working. We were really excited about having the solution. We looked around at other women we knew or women women we were aware of, and it didn't seem that they were getting as much you know, the joy that we were getting and the support and just the benefits that we felt like we were achieving. And we felt like we were achieving those from our partnership. So we started looking around to see if this was true of women working together. And as we started talking with finding more and more partners who were not, that's a whole other story, but they were not particularly easy to find um, for a while there. Uh, we found that this was this was very much true, that women were getting a lot from working together. So we thought, aha, this is really a solution. But then as we started digging more and more, and thanks to the help of our publisher and our, our, our editor, um, we also and they're great questions, we also started realizing that this wasn't the end of the story. Yeah, this might be a great solution, but what's the problem? Why do we need this solution today? Um, why do women need, you know, why is it a solution to team up? And so that got us really thinking about the way the world the world of work is set up right now and what women need from work and how they can sometimes not find that in the work world, but get that from each other in the work world. So... Um, we found that the, there, it took a lot of digging and it took us, and it was a challenge for us to think about it that way. Um, but it, it, in the end, we had to figure out the solution as much as we figure out, had to figure out the why we needed the solution. Yeah, that makes sense. Maggie, what, what was your aha moment? Oh, there were so many throughout the process. I think the, the biggest takeaway um, was the, the, how persistence, how, how persistent you have to be 
and getting an idea that isn't necessarily recognized out into the world. Um, this, even though women working together seems like it should just be an, a really obvious solution, um, the reality is because of how men have been in charge of the business world for so long uh, that women working together, still there's still a lot of myths around that. There's still a lot of obstacles and challenges that can get in the way of that. And so for us to be able to put the idea out there in a way that other people could see it as compelling and important took an enormous amount of persistence on our part and also being able to really absorb a lot of feedback along the way in terms of the, the publishing process and being able to clarify our ideas. So I think my biggest aha was, you know, if you really believe in an idea you ha and you're really committed to that, you've got to stay with it and continue to, you know, move past all the no's that you might hear. Now, before we dig into the book, I wanted to ask you, because you've used this word a lot, partners. Do you use the word partners instead of clients, or do you partner with people to help your clients? Oh, yeah. Um, we When we refer to partners, we're talking about Generally, the, the women we interviewed for the book were entrepreneurial or creative partners. So they had a more formalized partnership arrangement. Um, and since, since we interviewed them, we interviewed 125 women for the book. And since then, we have started to expand the idea of what partnership partners are, how to think about partnership, so that it's taken on more of a life of its own in, in all sorts of work environments. Um, but so we use both of those terms. Betsy, talk a little bit about debunking the myths. What are the myths that are, are making this more difficult for uh, women to, to do? Well, it's funny, we, when we first started and, and beyond, um, thinking about our writing this book, we would talk with friends and colleagues of ours and mention it and they'd say, oh, I, I would love to find, I'd love to be in a partnership, but I, I just don't think I could do that. I, I just, you know, I don't think I could ever find the right partner. And as we started exploring that, we found that there were these, yeah, the, some pretty big myths in our way, things that we as women had gotten from our families and gotten from school and gotten from media and gotten from just kind of in the air all around us. And, and Maggie and I always say that, you know, every myth has it has does have at its core a kernel of truth, but then there are stories and stories and stories surrounding that. And sometimes we don't even realize we're buying into those myths. But um, so what are those myths? Um, we found that one of them is um, this fear that, or this idea that strong women can't work together. Um, we interviewed women who owned, um, who, who lead a company in South Africa called Piatona that's dedicated to rebuilding the infrastructure of South Africa. And they are incredibly strong women. Each and every one of them is hugely strong in her own right. And when they decided to start this company, they were all told, well, you know, you know, strong women can't work together. You're all going to kill each other with your stilettos. And, you know, not one of them has been punctured, even punctured by a stiletto <laughs> since then. So, um, but that, that's a real myth, you know, this idea that women can't, they're not going to work together, they're going to work against each other. And that goes back to what you were saying before about the idea that trust is investing your ego in something that you have a shared purpose versus letting that ego become, come between you in a form of competition. Um, 
so that was one. Another one is, you know, we hear it everywhere. Watch TV, watch a couple of sitcoms in just one night, and you'll hear it again and again. But the myth of the cat woman, you know, that women are catty, that they, you were always trying to undermine each other. We're always trying to get, you know, get to each other. Um, so that was that's a really prevailing myth. So women, you know, we kind of soak these up, and we're often told that we're not supposed to work together. We're supposed to be friends and support each other, but we're not supposed to go into business together. That's not a safe territory. And we found the the opposite to be quite the truth for women who are willing to do the work it takes to create a, a as Maggie called it, a power ship. It's interesting because as soon as you started mentioning that stuff, all these stereotypes just popped into my head, and I was just like, oh my gosh, it is so. It's so obvious once you mention it that, yeah, it, it makes so much sense for, that women should be able to work together very, very well, regardless if they're A-type personalities or not. I think men have a harder time. And maybe that's, you know, if, if you have an A-type personality, it's very go, 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 and you have another A-type personality, they may bond a little bit, but there's a lot of infighting going on because both wants to be the winner. Whereas women, I think... Um, they tend to, uh, I don't want to use the words compromise, but they'll harmonize with each other and say, hey, listen, you know, let's work together and do more instead of I want to be first. I want to be the leader. There's that that stuff's taken away. And I think that is, um, I don't know what it, it's based from is is maybe way, way, way back uh, in the days when we were cavemen. And cave women. And cave women. The cave women, sorry. The women tended to hang out uh, uh, close to the homestead and, and uh, were really uh, great at, at, at choosing berries. And that's why they actually see more colors than men. And men do much better with monochrome situations because they were looking for things that were far away on the plane. So that's kind of how our brains developed and now that we've moved into the modern world very rapidly our brains haven't actually kept up with it so i think it's fascinating when we get into these conversations is like how a lot of these myths and beliefs are based on stuff that is tens of thousands of years old based on our uh fight or flight mechanisms and stuff like that and, and people just aren't conscious of that yeah, and it's reinforced, those stereotypes are reinforced, as Betsy was saying, in media all the time. I mean, it's just like, you know, take the Kardashians, for example. My 13-year-old daughter loves to watch the Kardashians. Well, you know, there, there are a lot of not-so-great messages that they put out there. I mean, they are business owners. They do own a store together. Um but the the way that the arguments happen and and just the just the drama and how it unfolds and yet i find myself like every time i'm walking by and she has it on i'm like oh this this show's just you know not great but then i find myself like watching it um in part because of the drama part of it so i mean that is just so pervasive in our culture and finding those those spots that are presenting a different a different vision of women is there they are starting to be more and more out there but they're still kind of hard to find yeah, it's very true. As, as I do another podcast called, podcast called Crazy TV Talk, and that's a discussion that comes up a lot if we have a woman uh, guest on the show. And it's that there are no great roles for women that have meaningful dialogue. And, and you look at some of the great shows that are out there, and those shows tend to actually have some very, very interesting character development for women. And that is... Um, it's rare. And I think that is a fundamental problem that 
that women face is you've got all these stereotypical BS happening on an entertainment device called a TV or the internet or whatever. Uh, from a very young age, you kind of get programs, oh, well, this is the way I'm supposed to be. When you're young, it's all about how can I adapt? How can I be accepted? Um, worried about how you're going to survive in the real world once you leave your family. And if that's the only information you're given and those are the only type of, of uh, archetypes you get to study, then of course you're going to have a biased opinion. So after that little tirade, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the golden age of women in business because I think uh, what's happening now with several of my clients, this has happened over the last two years, is uh, the upper management of larger organizations have said, we have to get more women in senior manager positions because it's not because we're trying to be um, an evolved company. We need it because if we don't, we're not going to survive. And and. It's kind of come to a tipping point where for years and years, the progressive companies have had um, <clears throat> strong, powerful, together women in senior positions or in leadership leadership positions or ownership positions, but not as an economic thing. It was either driven by the woman that was in charge or driven by um, the ethos of the company. Says, no, we want to be fair. We want to be uh, all inclusive, blah, blah, blah. Now it's like, if we don't get more women in senior positions, we're not going to be in business in three to five years. So we need, you know, not 3% women, we need 25% women in this these positions. That is a huge shift. Do you think that it's going to, over the next five to 15 years, going to be the golden age for uh, women to excel and, and, and get into uh, executive positions, whereas before um, it was more of a struggle? I know it's a toughie and it's a little off book and I promise we will talk about the book after this one. But I feel, you know, for you too, because you're kind of the epitome of a power couple right. <laughs> in business. Um, do you think, are, are you seeing that? Are you are you getting hints of that from your clients and, and a, a fundamental shift in the way people are perceiving women's place in the workplace? Well, what I'm thinking about is, you know, Anne-Marie Slaughter's new book just came out. But it's all about how, you know, for so long, our culture has looked at, at women and said, oh, well, women need balance, women need time, women need this. You know, Anne-Marie Slaughter makes the case that it's not about women needing more balance, it's about the workplace not meeting and not being a structure that supports the needs of humans, really, yeah. you know, that's not going to survive because there's that lack of adaptability. So hearing that there are greater opportunities for women and knowing that there are, there are more and more opportunities for women... Um, great, but, you know, we still have a lot of work to do on our organizational structures to support and make the room for the needs of those women and the needs of, of, of men who are also kind of um, pushing against structures. You know, um, when, um, I feel like we've been in the golden age, though, already um, before, and there was a sense of many new opportunities and then the doors shut. So, you know, I maybe, I don't know what you think, Maggie, I'm feeling like, what are we going to do to keep these doors open? And I'm going to Anne-Marie Slaughter's new book and, and other recent works thinking we've got to do more than just being, the, you know, women have to do more than just being there. The policies have to change to support that. Yeah, that's right. That I mean, we, I think that's what the research shows is that and unless there are more structural changes, you know, in terms of paid, more paid family leave, uh, high quality childcare, 
you know, really, you know, more flexible in terms of being able to attend to your family needs when those are, and you see that these are really starting to change in like the, the tech companies, right? I mean, where they're some doing, yeah, in some tech companies where they're, you know, at least having men and women having the option of having long-term paternity or maternity leave and then coming back. Um, but it really, you know, I, I think that it's got to, it's a both and where we, we do, women are, are making tremendous strides. We have made tremendous strides into, in getting into leadership, but it has to be to the point where people want to be there. And the millennials coming up, we hear more and more about how for them, for men and women, their expectations about work are are different. And that might be what it takes to really have the whole structure shift to the point where it, it can be have the flexibility and that ad, the adaptability that Betsy was talking about so that, you know, we all of us who want to have meaningful work and make a contribution and also care about our families and our communities and ourselves, that all of that can happen more within the corporate structure than it does now. Yeah, there's some very interesting books coming out right now, and a lot of them are hinging on we have to make a more sustainable economy. We have to make uh, corporations think less aggressively and think more sustained. Uh, and and then you get into like, well, how do you become more sustainable? Well, that's, but you don't have people that feel miserable for their whole lives because yeah. the, the, you know you want people right. that are empowered and excited about coming to work and and get into that headspace. And I think um, having more women in organizations will definitely make that happen. And the, the organizations have to realize and that that they have to have women in, in those positions and they have to have the sustainable and more happy workplace. And I think women are going to push that forward. Well, as long as women realize there are opportunities, as long as there are true opportunities, yeah. and I think what's happened in the past is there's been kind of this needle, needle hole uh, approach of, okay, there's room for this many of you to get through this needle hole um, to succeed, you know, so we can have one or two women in leadership. Um, so we could say, you know, we can so we can look like a progressive company. And I know you're saying that it's beyond just looking like it. But so what that does is breed all sorts of competition, which takes us back to those myths. Mm, good point. Now, let's talk about this book. It's a short book. You can zap through relatively quickly, which is great. Um, how should I read the book? Should I, I, I you know, start at, at page one and go all the way to the, to the end? Or can I kind of jump around in it? It really is up to the reader what they're interested in. I, I mean, we did write the book to be an entertaining, um, you know, read it on a plane ride kind of experience, um, you know, that you can start, our hope is that you're hooked at the beginning, you want to find more, and then you just, you know, you read get through, through it in a couple hours. That being said, if there's something in particular that the reader's interested in, then they can jump right to that that topic. Um, for example, we hear a lot of uh, uh, questions from women about where do I even look for a partner? You know, this is this is a good idea. I'm excited about it, but how do I even start on that partnership journey? And in that case, they could jump right to chapter four and start there. Maybe that's going to uh, going to pick their and pique their interest or conflict. 
You know, like maybe I'm excited about the idea of working with a woman, but I'm really nervous about how, you know, what, what if we were, what if we're friends first? What does that mean for um, any of the conflict that might come up as we navigate a business together? Or if we take on a project together, how can I, how can I feel like this is a, this is a risk, a risk worth taking. And in that case, they could look at the the chapter on conflict. I mean, so there are multiple entry points and the narrative where, I mean, our, our hope is that it's a, it's a fun read, fun and informative. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, I think the entertainment part is also those stories and the anecdotes that are in inside the book. It just brings it so much more to life than some of the drier books that are out there. Did you, uh, and I'll, I'll give this to, we'll start with Betsy on this one. Is there a, a favorite anecdote or story that kind of really came home for you? And you say, oh, this is my favorite. I know it's unfair because they're all the same, but. Yeah, I, know, yeah, I don't want to play favorites, but the one that comes to mind, maybe because Maggie just um, set the stage by talking about the conflict chapter, um, but one that comes to mind is we interviewed two women who owned a gallery in Savannah, Chroma Gallery. It's not, it's currently not there, but I, um, these were two women artists who own this gallery and they, um, at that time Chroma was really kind of the heart of the Savannah art community. Um, anyway, so Jan and Lori were new owners and they got themselves, they were in a position where they were not agreeing on something. They were just in a point of, a point of tension. They, one was saying one thing, the other one was saying another thing. And before their conversation went any, went beyond that point, one of them turned on the Motown, you know, a CD and played Motown. They got a canvas out and they started painting and they didn't talk, but they painted, they didn't escape their conflict either. They painted through it and they created a beautiful canvas together that became um, a series, one of a series of artworks called what they, what they called Loja, which was a combination of their name, Lori and Jan. And so Loja became kind of a hot, from what we understand, it became kind of a hot ticket for the um, for the gallery, people started coming and buying loja. So this this art that became that started with conflict escalated, if you will, into some hot selling art for Chroma. And I think and that also became their tradition to work through their conflict in that way. You know, where our message isn't to escape from it and find some other thing to do. You know, you you have to face it, but to face it in a way that's going to bring out. So, you know, a, a creative approach that's going to bring out new energy, that's going to bring out something beyond the conversation that you might be stuck in in that moment. Mm, I think you hit the nail on the head when you say it's stuck. I think a lot of conversations uh, and arguments and, and uh, disagreements with partners are based on not be you're stuck you can't move forward it's 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 you know what he said or what she said or what they said or what the kids said or whatever and then if you just break around uh, completely away from that and do something radically different like go ride a bike or like you're saying painting or go swimming or whatever and then try the conversation again i think it enables you to work past stuff like that so i yeah i, I really think it's a brilliant part in the book and then they did it together too. They didn't just go off and paint right. their own things. They painted it together and created something together that represented that moment in time. All right, Maggie, what do you got for us? One of the stories that we loved learning about was Ann Patchett and Karen Hayes, who started the bookstore Parnassus in Nashville, Tennessee. And their story is just, it, it was 
one of the things we loved about it was that it was so opposite of our story. Um, Nashville was at a point where they needed, well, they had lost all their bookstores. So, you know, the independents had closed, Barnes and Noble was moving on, and there was a real rallying cry from the community to have a strong independent bookstore. And Ann Patchett, who's the novelist, um, really was interested in that idea but she didn't know who she was going to part, who, like how that could happen. There were a lot of conversations going on. And she was put in touch with Karen Hayes, who had a long-term history as a, you know, she worked with for some of the publishing houses in terms of book distribution. And so they were put together by a mutual friend. Um, and it didn't take long for them to realize that they wanted to do this together. And so having that um, just that serendipity of having someone know both of them and suggest that they meet each other, the complementary skills that they brought to it, the way their partnership has just um, just developed so beautifully with Anne being kind of the public face for Parnassus and doing a lot of marketing in terms of her, with her own work, and then Karen being the behind-the-scenes bookseller in the store every day. This is so inspirational. Now... Do you think that men should read this book? Absolutely. Sure. <laughs> and oh, okay, nice nice quick answers. Um but but why? I mean, like what are they going to get out of it? Are they going to be able to understand the women that they work with? Are they going to become better managers themselves? Are they going to be able to take lessons from the book and become uh better partners? Yeah, all of the above. I mean, and we have been We've had a number of men attend our workshops, come to our book readings, be part of conferences that we're involved in. And yes, I mean, one thing they do learn more about some of the dynamics that women might face. And so as, as men who work with women, we've heard that that can be very helpful to them. We've also heard them, the takeaways, you know, there, there's a lot of this book that's just applicable to people. Um, we've written it for women and there are some very women specific things, but then there are also just some good strategies for dealing with things like conflict, which all humans have. So they can get that takeaway in terms of improving their relationships, their business um, relationships with women and with men. So there's, yeah. And, and we hear that they just have a good time reading it also. You know, it's a fun read. So uh, one, one other aha that came out from the book for uh, for me was um, we we do an exercise in some of our workshops where we show you know where we ask people to think of all the men they could think of in partnership and it, in highly visible well known you know instant name brand recognized partners and people once one name starts coming the names just keep coming and coming and coming and then we ask the same about women and the examples, there are some newer examples that are coming, which is exciting, but the examples are, are harder to find. Well, very well-known women who are just household names who are working together are not above the radar in the same way that they are for men. So, you know, one aha is that this is a way, you know, this book is not about women work. Partnership is something that works for women and not for men. We found that partnership looks works really, really well for men. Men are partnering very successfully. They're finding their own way. Um, and they do, and I think they, in some cases, you know, partner, uh, 
uh, two men partnering together might look very much like two women partnering together, but in some cases there are great differences. Um, and we haven't, you know, we haven't studied men in partnership. So, um, but, but what we have found is that this way of work is something that really works and it's something that has worked for men for a very long time. Um, and whereas for women, it can work and it is working, but not in that, not as visibly and above the radar. So that's another reason why we wrote the book. Okay, but it, but it's the same dynamic, right? Like when two women work together compared to two men working together, is it the same dynamics or is it a slightly hybrid dynamic? Well, we haven't studied men working together. But one example that we write about in the book that really struck us was you know, we um, – there, we share a story about two men who are working together and they really can't stand each other. Um, they're <laughs> writing a book together and they can't, they can't stand each other. But, they, but that doesn't affect how they work together. It doesn't affect the outcome. They never say, well, we're going to stop this. They never say, um, this isn't working. They just kind of say, you know, I can't stand him, but we're, <laughs> this is the outcome we're achieving here. We're going to write this book. So I think that and this is a huge generalization here because I, I'm going to say it one more time. We have not studied men. But um, what we found for women is that relationship at the core, whether women have been friends for a very long time or whether it's a new partnership, like some of the stories we shared about um, Ann Patchett and Karen Hayes, et cetera, whether if even there has to be a connection we found at the core for women to work well together. I think it would be much harder for women to say, you know what, I can't stand you, but let's make this work. Yeah, they just won't tough it out and power through. Well, and I, yeah, and so I think there's, but there is that sense of, you know, there is that sense of connection that comes from a lot of different reasons that might be more, um, concrete in a, or more prevalent or more, I don't know what the word would be, in a woman's partnership than it might be for in a, man, in a male yeah. partnership. But that doesn't mean that men aren't having great connections in their partnerships. And that doesn't mean that women um, have to be, you know, the best of friends in theirs. You know, it's interesting because if, if I decide to partner with somebody, and I'm, I'm constantly doing this, I usually want to partner with somebody which I harmonize with. As I, I get what they're about. I like their energy. That I like the, 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 the way they deal with other people. I say, hey, yeah, this would be a, I could work in this environment. Whereas um, I know other people that, and, and I would say 90% men, are just like, I, I'm, I'm in it for the money or I'm in it for this and, and I'll do it and the hell with everything else. And if I'm miserable, I'm just going to have to tough it out. I'm going for that goal. They're constantly thinking about the future, something that's in the future that's not there and that's what they're powering through. And that's, you know, either they're miserable or happy, it's irrelevant. They're, they're, they're powering towards something that doesn't, they can't touch. Where, where, when I'm having uh, great uh, partnerships with people is that it's the journey that is just as rewarding as the, the final goal. So I wanted to ask you guys, do you feel that's true now that you've worked together in partnership and, you, and, and you've chatted with many, many other women that have worked that way? Do you see that as, as a, a theme that's uh, coming up? Yes. Yes. I mean, for, for many of the women, um, most of the women we interviewed, that that process, the learning that comes through working with someone that closely, the celebrating the highs together and getting through the lows together, that that has made such a difference for them in terms of the way that they, in, in terms of the way they want to be leaders, you know, instead of leadership being lonely at the top. 
Um, I, I think it is not so much of a generalization to say most women don't want to be lonely. They want to have that companionship. And the way to have that companionship is this co-leadership model, is this partnership model um, where you're constantly learning, getting the support, the confidence through the the bottle of the partnership. Um, and yeah, the goal is important. You know, why you're doing it, what the impact is that you want to have through your business, through your creative, um, your creative collaboration. But the way in which that is going, you're going through that is so crucial for pretty much everyone we interviewed. Wouldn't right, you say, Betsy? Right. I would say that. And it's interesting going back to your point about money we rarely, I mean, we interviewed women who were very financially successful, who were running um, lucrative true. businesses, yeah. uh, but profitable businesses. But we rarely, if ever, very, very true. rarely, do we ever hear women say we're in this for the money. Or, right. they, or even if they, you know, maybe they wouldn't have said that that directly, but but. It was the opposite was so true that they were in the, they were excited about this partnership because they had found someone who shared their vision. They found someone who was ready to, and some of them even put it in the you know in the, use the word dream. Who they had found someone who was there to further a dream together, um, and so it was you know, and many of them it was about the values at the core of the of the work that they were doing. That they were able to find people who really share the same values and weave those values into what they were achieving. And a quick example of that is we interviewed women who um, started a firm called Starvest, which is a capital venture firm in New York, and they were all Wall Street veterans. And they all decided that, that they wanted to kind of, they wanted to have a, a New York Wall Street firm that was kind of not the Wall Street value system. So they came together and started this based on the values that mattered to them, you know, very people-focused um, values. And um, compassion focused, and you know they all and they did a lot of work to make sure that they were all in sync with that to start. So you know, so here you have one of the most you know finan- you know on the outset like one of the most financially recognizable kinds of partnerships, and they embody the sense of we are doing this to further these values that matter so much, and and probably have a much more uh, sustainable philosophy as well. Yeah, they made it through the recession just beautifully. I mean, yeah. they they are still going and growing. They're I think they're on their second fund now, and have been very uh, gotten a lot of accolades um, for the results of their work, which is the 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 funding that they've been able to generate for causes and um, businesses that they believe in. Let's talk a little bit about partnerships that aren't on the same level in the sense that you partner with something in an or, somebody in an organization that is higher uh, than you in the organization, how does that work? Yeah, well, and this is some some work that we've been doing since yeah. the book has come, come out because there has been interest that we've learned about from uh, from leaders within organizations. How do you cultivate a, a mindset of partnership? How do you really create an organization where uh, people are comfortable partnering up or partnering down or partnering side to side? So um, what we've found is that you don't always have to have an overt partnership in order for the benefits and the qualities of partnership to come out. So 
that when you really peel back partnership to its core, it is about bringing out the best in each other. So taking on the stance of, I'm going to work with this person, whether the person is higher than I am or a peer on a, and a peer with, with me or, you know, so-called lower on the, on the, um, in, in terms of the hierarchy in an organization, but be deliberate about looking to bring out their best um, and making, we call it the leap of trust, the extending the trust in terms of asking to work together, looking to support her work on what she's doing, um, making her look good. And, you know, it's not always going to work. I mean, we're not Pollyannas here where we're, where we're going to say this is always going to happen, where if you take this stance, you're always going to feel like you're a partner with someone who's at a different level or even at your same level as you. But we've been, we've been impressed that more times than not, Taking that change in mindset and being overt about bringing out the person's best has had good results, um, and people have felt like they have been able to establish partnerships, even if it isn't like technically a partnership. Uh, I wanted to ask you for all our listening audience out there, and we'll, we'll throw this one to Betsy first. Um, what's one thing that uh, they can do today to uh, move forward with with uh, a more powerful relationship or, 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 you know, building and, and being more successful by looking at partnerships as a, a fundamental way of, of uh, moving forward? I guess the first step is to know yourself. I mean, to know what, what it is you want from a partnership or a collaboration, to know why you're going into it, and to kind of know what your buttons are in terms of how you respond to conflict, to know what complementary skill, what skills you bring and what skills you need. And to, um, so whether you're going into a partnership because it's a project or whether it's um, you're creating an entity or whether you're in an organization and um, you're partnering up or down or side to side to share, to kind of hit your your success wagon with someone else's so you can achieve more results, whatever it is, know yourself first so you can have a sense of what you bring to this. Maggie? And then keep your eyes open. You know, keep your eyes open for potential partners. You know, potential partners are everywhere from, you know, maybe it's somebody you've worked with at some point in your life, your, your paths have crossed, or maybe it's somebody you meet on the soccer field when you're watching your kids play soccer or you're playing soccer together on the soccer field. Uh, partners are, you know, are in many different avenues of life. And so keep your eyes open. Keep track of the people you think you would be interested in. And then before you actually formalize any partnership, do your homework. You know, make sure that it is a good fit. And if you're getting any warning signs, don't move forward with it. But, you know, first you've got to, as Betsy said, you've got to know yourself. Then you're keeping your eyes open for potential partners. And then you're doing your homework before you actualize anything. Power through partnership. How women lead better together. I've been chatting with Betsy and Maggie today. Thank you for coming on the show. It was awesome. Thank you, This is so fun, Bob. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. And don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Like us at Facebook forward slash Business Book Talk. Follow the host on Twitter at Bob Garlic. Visit the website businessbooktalk.com for show notes and lots of other great interviews. See you next week.